The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. On to verse 26, so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 down to verse 26. Again, I want to greet those in the overflow and those joining us online. I have to say, after three chapters of bad news, we can finally make it into the good news. And I'm glad that you've continued to stay with us. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 down to verse 26. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. We'll be spending our time together in Romans chapter 3, and before we go very far in the sermon, I do want to publicly thank God for my children being able to be back with us. So Ariel and Hannah are here, and if you've not met them, make sure that you get a chance to greet them after the service. Ariel loves it when I draw attention to her, and so make sure you get by to give her a good fist bump, elbow bump, foot shake. She loves those. The people of Israel had been exodus out of Egypt. When they went into Egypt, there were 70 of them. When they came out 400 years later, 2 million. They'd grown exponential growth. When they came out of the land of Egypt, God gave them very specific rules and ways to know how to follow God, how to have a relationship with Him. You and I have come to call that the law. It was given in the book of Exodus. We saw as God miraculously brought them out through plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea, and then He gave His law at Mount Sinai. And yet, as we have seen over the last few weeks, the people of Israel, before they even received fully the law, they'd already broken the law. A very good example to you and I that we are all sinners condemned before a holy God. He is a just God and He will judge righteously. The following book in the Old Testament after the book of Exodus is the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, God outlines how He wants His people to interact with Him. Another way to think of it is how to be made right with God. As the people of Israel are now wandering in the wilderness for what they would end up wandering for 40 years, they need to know how can they be made right with God. As you and I have read from Romans chapter 1, the more we sin, the more we heap up the wrath of God. And you can imagine as a people supposed to be following God's will and constantly 
bickering and being bitter towards God who was providing for them, they had no way of getting around the fact that they are heaping up God's wrath. God gave them a way to be made right with Him, and that was called the Day of Atonement. And before I get into the Day of Atonement, let me take just a minute and walk through some of those things that we might not be familiar with if we didn't grow up in church hearing these things. So God gave command for His tabernacle to be built. They carried that tabernacle everywhere they went. It was a tent made of animal skins. And within that tabernacle, there were two portions. The inner portion was called the Holy of Holies, and then the outer portion was the Holy Place. Outside of that was the altar where they would make the sacrifices. Inside of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the Mercy Seat. The Mercy Seat was, we could say, either you could say it as the throne of God, or you could even say, yeah, the footstool of God. On the top of the Mercy Seat, there were two cherubim made of gold, and they faced each other. Their wings were towards each other, and their eyes were looking down upon the Mercy Seat. Within the Ark of the Covenant were three things. There was the law. God said to put the law, those commandments that He had given, put them inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Another thing was the Aaron's rod, and specifically the Bible calls it Aaron's rod that budded. Let me take just a moment and explain that. There was a day when Korah and some of his friends thought that perhaps God had made a mistake in placing Moses and Aaron in positions of leadership. Korah made the statement, something to this effect, Who are you when we can do just as good a job of leadership? God had told them, okay, if that's the way you want to do, grab a couple of your rod, the stick that you're going to walk in stick. Bring that and set it before me and we'll see. I'll have the one come to life that I want for leadership. And of course it was Aaron's. A rod, a dead stick that had been carried around as his walking stick, literally came to life and budded overnight. God said, take that rod, put it inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And there was one more thing that they were supposed to put in, and you might remember God provided them food, manna, on a daily basis, and He said, take one pot, one jar of manna, and place it inside the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, if you were to think of it like this, there's the law, that's what God wants you to be doing to be right with Him. You see, the rod, and that is God's approval upon His leadership. And then you see the manna, the food, that is God's provision for His people. So there within the Ark of the Covenant are His law, His approval, and His provision. All within the Ark of the Covenant. And there God, on top of the mercy seat, presenting Himself in the Shekinah glory, sat upon it, and as it were, could look down into it and see what He has provided and what He has placed in authority and what He has shown as the right way to live. And while He looks upon that, He knows, for He knows all things, He knows exactly how wicked those people are who are supposed to be following Him. And so the question begs itself, well, if my, wrath, if my sins are causing the wrath of God to be heaped up, how will I ever get that taken care of? How can I ever be right with God? And so God provided the Day of Atonement. We won't read through it, but I'll just hit the highlights. Leviticus chapter 16 outlines the Day of Atonement. And the way that it worked was God had a special person. There was only one person that was supposed to do this, the high priest. 
on a set day. That was the tenth day of the seventh month. Every year, the tenth day of the seventh month, the high priest, a special man, was to get up in the morning and he was to put on special clothes for that day. He was to even have a special set of undergarments and a special belt and a special miter that he would put on his head. You see, this isn't just a flippant thing. You don't just get up in the morning and get right with God. Everything has to be set in place. But then remember that that high priest is a sinful man himself. So how will he ever make a whole people right with God if he himself is sinful? And so God provided a way for that as well. So God commanded, kill a bullock, a steer. Kill a bullock, take the blood on his own behalf. The high priest would bring the bull with that blood of a bullock in before the holy place and into the holiest of holies. And then seven times he was to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and that was for his own sin. That would make him, as it were, at one with God. He was going to be made right with God so that now he can bring another blood on behalf of the nation. So he would go first with the blood of the bullock and then he would return back out into be with the priest. And they had two goats at that moment. There were two goats and they would cast lots. They don't bring the two goats and say, this one's for this and this one's for that. No, there's two goats and you have no idea which one's going to be which. And so they would cast lots and choose which goat from the lots would be then the sacrifice. And here's one goat, and they would sacrifice that goat and take the blood of that goat. It would be then mingled together. The blood of that goat would be mingled together in the bowl with the blood of the bullock. And then that high priest would carry that blood in, and on behalf of the nation would take that blood and he would place it upon the mercy seat. If you were to think of it this way, everything is symbolic. And think of it this way, he's taking the blood of the bullock first and then the blood of the bullock and the goat and he's bringing that and he's covering God's eyes from the transgressions of the people. And then he comes back outside of the veil, takes the blood, drops it at the veil, goes to the altar, drops some more at the altar, and then places blood on the four horns of the altar. After that... They go to the other goat that just lived through the whole process. He was 50% chance of dying earlier on. (laughs) Come to the goat. His name is now called the scapegoat. And the high priest will confess all the sins of the nation upon the head of that scapegoat. The scapegoat then would be put into the hand of a man called, and this is the Bible's words, a fit man. In other words, this guy has been appointed for this job. He's a fit man. The fit man would tie a rope to the scapegoat and he would walk off into the wilderness far enough away to where that goat would never find his way to come back. In other words, all of the sins of the people for the last year are now placed on that goat and they're taken away, way far away to never be brought back again. This would happen every year. On a special day, the tenth day of the seventh month, a special man wearing special clothes would bring a special offering in before God to try to make all of the nation right with God. It was called atonement. And if you were to read through the book of Leviticus chapter 16, you would see the word atonement 13 times in that one chapter. All about being made right with God. Now, let me just take a moment. We're coming to Romans 3 in just a second. Let me take just a moment and give you a little bit of background about the word atonement. 
You see, in the Hebrew language, that word is, the word is kafar. And it doesn't have a literal translation that comes over to English. So when we translate it, the, we had to make up a word within English. And the literal word is at one meant. We are at one with God because of that sacrifice. This is the idea. I'm made to be at one with God where my sins have been heaping up and His wrath is abiding upon me. Now I need a sacrifice who will take my place so that I can be made at one with God. Oh, can I say it like this? I want to go back to the Garden of Eden. But my sin has separated me from a holy God. And he's going to be a righteous judge. I will never get out from underneath this unless a sacrifice is made on my behalf. And that's what brings us into Romans chapter 3. So let's look at Romans chapter 3 this morning. We'll see verses 21 to verse 26. It is all one sentence. It's a very long sentence and it is packed with theology. I will not be able to make it through this whole sentence this morning. We will only go through part of the sentence. Next week we will continue on with the sentence. But let me read this full sentence again for us. This is verses 21 to verse number 26. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. There's a month of Sundays worth of doctrine filled in that one sentence. What I'll do this morning, I can break this down simply into four statements. We will cover three of them today. The fourth statement we will leave for next week. I'll just show you the four statements. Verses 21 and 22, we are made righteous by faith in Jesus. Verse 23, we are not righteous in ourselves. Verse 24 and 25, we are set free by Jesus' work on the cross. And verse 26, God is just in justifying those who believe in Jesus. We'll leave that one for next week. So let's just dive into the first portion. Point number one, we are made righteous by faith in Jesus. That's verses 21 and 22. We are made righteous by faith in Jesus. Let me read those two verses again. Remember, this is only the first portion of a sentence. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. We are made righteous by faith in Jesus. Remember the bad news. 64 verses of bad news. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Every single one of us is a sinner. The 64 verses, and we just got to shatter all that bad news with one long sentence of good news. I want to be right with God, but how do I do that? How do I get to be right with God? As you and I know, we're not going back to a day of atonement. None of us is doing sacrifices of bullocks and goats. So there's a better way that we get to be right with God. Now let me just pause and point out a phrase here. Verse 21 The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. 
The righteousness of God, I'll simplify that. The righteousness of God is manifested. In other words, the righteousness of God is, 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 is put on display. Now, for the last 64 verses, we've had a different display. You know what's on display for the last 64 verses? Our sin. Just look back over to chapter 1. I want you to see this. And the thesis verses for this book were Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's look at that, and then you'll see the same phrase, the righteousness of God. I want you to see it come out here. Here's verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, here it comes, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so here we have, it's being revealed. We can, we can just think of it like this. Here's a plate. Oh, this is a terrible illustration, but it's the only thing I can come up with. So here's, here's a plate, and it's filled with the righteousness of God. And yet, there is a dish covering it. And then we can say, here's the righteousness of God, and it's revealed. We open it up and have a look at it. Now, the righteousness of God is being revealed. It's being shown to us. But now look at verse number 18. On the other hand, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So for the last 64 verses, we've been looking at revealing the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is revealed on all of our ungodliness and all of our sinfulness. But then we come into chapter 3 and verse 21, and instead of looking at the wrath of God, now we get to see again the righteousness of God is manifested. It's not the exact same word, but it's the same meaning. Revealed, He's being manifested, He's being shown to us. We're seeing the righteousness of God. And if ever I'm going to get past my sinfulness, I need God to do something with my sin. And I need to be made righteous in Him. And His whole point of verses 21 and 22 is the fact that we get to be made righteous, get to be made righteous by faith in Jesus. So it's not you making yourself righteous. Please get this, brothers and sisters. It's not you making yourself righteous. You're being made righteous by God through faith in Jesus. Let's look at a couple of phrases in verses 21 and 22 that help us to frame this statement that we are made righteous by Jesus, by faith in Jesus. Uh, verse 21, without the law. You see the words without the law in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Without the law. Not to those who follow the law. Do you see it? So you're going to receive the righteousness of God. God is going to make you righteous not by following the law. Without the law. So the righteousness of God is revealed to those who are not following the law, but instead are following Christ, believing in Jesus. Now, for the last couple of verses there, in verses 19 and 20, he reminded us that if you are trying to follow the law, all it's going to do is condemn you. It's going to show you, it's going to prove to you that you cannot live up to the law. The book of Galatians helps us to see that as well. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 makes this statement, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Two very important words in that. Cursed is every man that continueth not to do all of the law. Continue means you keep on doing it. 
And you keep on doing it. And you keep on doing it. You have to continue. You don't get to hit pause and take a day off from following the law. And and continue to do all of it. All 613. Please don't think that there's only 10. There's 613. Some of us, I think, perhaps your mind just got blown. What are you talking about? Most of us can't name the 10. Much less the 613. He says, if you don't continue in all of them, curse it. God, I don't want God cursing me. I need something other than His curse. I need Him to make me righteous. Since last September, Becky and I have been doing a diet. We've seen great results from it. Love the energy that we receive from it. But I'll be honest. I'm not 100% continuing to do all of the diet all the time. You follow me? Every once in a while, when she's not looking, I cheat. Every once in a while, I just really like a cookie. That's, that's called cheating. And here's the thing. If you're trying to do the law the same way, in your own power of your own flesh, curse it. Because you can't do it. You can't continue to continue to continue in all of all of all. Just look at your own life. I'm sure that at some point in your own life you decided that you were going to be a good boy or a good girl. You're going to live right. You're going to do this in the power of your own flesh. And you push and you do your best and you try and you, maybe you last for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden something happens. You look back and you say, hey, look, I've been doing really good. Look at how great I am. And next thing you know, you've tripped and you've just now fallen back into sin. And every single one of us would find that to be the truth. You realize that none of us can continue in all of the law. And so that leaves us standing before God, cursed. It's impossible. Another important phrase that I see here in verse 21, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, and here's another important phrase, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets have seen this coming all throughout the Old Testament. It's a matter of fact. Here's another way that we could say this. This was Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 6. Paul wrote it like this. You've never become righteous by following the law. You become righteous by faith. And here it is. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham didn't follow the law. Abraham believed God and God went, okay, righteous. And this is the way that it's worked in the Old Testament. It's the way that it works in the New Testament. Please don't let anybody tell you, well, in the Old Testament they got saved by following the law and being a good boy. You can never do that. The law is just a pedagogue, a schoolmaster that points us back at our own sinfulness. It's impossible to do right all the time. So this is now without the law, and it's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. So how do I get to be righteous? Well, it's not by following the law. The Old Testament Scriptures know that. The Old Testament Scriptures show us that. Abraham didn't believe that. He believed God. And God declared him to be righteous. Another important phrase uh, is in verse number 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So here we have the righteousness of God is by faith. 
you get to be righteous by trusting Jesus. He was righteous. You hang on to His righteousness. You don't hang on to your own righteousness. I come holding on to Jesus by faith in Jesus. By the way, that's good news, and He's going to repeat that later on. Then the end of verse 22, He says, It's unto all and upon all that believe, and there is no difference. So it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or you're Gentile. You get to have this righteousness simply by trusting Jesus. This is a glorious thought. It's to all them that believe. So first we saw we're made righteous by faith in Jesus. We're made righteous by faith in Jesus. Second one is we are not righteous in ourselves. And we see this in verse number 23. Perhaps if you've memorized verses from the Bible, perhaps you've memorized this one and you could quote it from memory. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, meaning every single one of us, there's not one who is an exception. All of us have sinned, and all of us have come short of the glory of God. One of the more frustrating things that I do in my normal daily life is drive to town. And by the way, I just want to say thank you to all of you who drive in for the service. Uh, those of you, we have a growing number of folks coming from Adai. And so you guys don't really feel this the way the rest of us feel this. I'm just kidding. You guys have to go to town as well. (laughs) When the road is fine, it's okay. It's a wonderful thing. Put on a podcast, listen to some music, enjoy the drive. But in times like now, and you have to transverse the Grand Canyon in order to get into town, uh, the thing's just, the the poor suspension on my vehicle is about to rattle the teeth out of my head. Uh, Wouldn't it be amazing if there was... Just, just dream with me, right? If there was a bridge that went from CBD, for those of you that are not up with the coolest of statements, Central Business District, we've always called that downtown. But if, if from the CBD across to Napa Napa, if there was a bridge there, wouldn't that be the coolest? It'd be pretty awesome. And then fix the road on this side. We don't have to worry about this side. We just go around. That'd be pretty awesome. Now let's say for just a moment, let's say that all of us were standing at Paga Point. And let's say that we're all there and we're going to see who can, you ready? Who can jump the distance of that bridge? Who can jump from CBD all the way across to Napa Napa? Do we have anybody that would like to try? Now let's say, if we were all standing there, I think, if we had asked for volunteers, I think we probably would have gotten a few volunteers. Maybe some of the younger boys would be all excited about it. They're going to show us how good they are at it. I'm not going to call you up here, but could you imagine, Jazaniah, Juan? Could you guys imagine? Juan's like, yes, let's do it. Yes, right there. That's why I love the youthful exuberance, right? Now, let's guess. If he stood there, let's pick it from, let's, let's, let's take it from, uh, I can't remember the name of it. The, they just changed it. It used to be Naked Fish. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's a pier there, right? And so, can you just imagine, we're all standing off on the side, and there's Juan, Jazaniah, and they're going to give it their best jump from Paga Point, or from Naked Fish Harbor side. And they're going to jump from there, try to make it all the way across. By the way, that's 3,300 meters. In case you were just thinking, that oh, wouldn't be that bad. 3,300 meters. All right, so here's the two boys, and they're going to give it everything they've got, and they give it a running jump, and they jump, and perhaps because they jumped off of a pier, 
maybe they made it 1.5 meters. <laughs> we'd say high five, we'd throw in a float, let's pull them back, <laughs> right? Now, after that, some of the bigger boys might raise their hand. I don't know. They're a bit cool, so maybe they wouldn't raise their hand. But I think, given the chance, they would try to at least show that they could go further than Jezaniah in one. So then I think of Ethan and Caleb and Joshua Sarufa. I can see the three of you guys. Joshua's got his head bowed and eyes closed right now. <laughs> I can see the three of them line up, and they're going to give it a big running jump, right? And here they come, and they jump right from the edge. I mean, I'm not talking about give up half a meter. No, 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 no. Foot to the edge and with a backflip. Grand total of two and a half meters. We don't want them to feel bad, so we all cheer for them. Congratulations. But that was not 3,300 meters by any stretch of the imagination. Don't feel bad, guys. It's okay. That's the point when us papas come up with a plan. And I can just imagine as the papas get around and we figure out this is how we're going to send a guy all the way across. Brother Eric, just amen, so he gets to be a part of this group. <laughs> Paul's laughing. You're a part of the group. Leo, you too. And so I can just imagine those three guys, and they put their heads together. They say, okay, how are we going to get a guy? We have already demonstrated that jumping isn't going to work. We have to come up with a different plan. How are we going to make it 3,300 meters over to Napa Napa? And I can just imagine they go and get scraps of bungee gummies, right? They cut those tires, make one giant slingshot. Let me just think for just a second. Paul and Eric are larger than Leo. So Leo goes into the slingshot. <laughs> pull and pull and pull some more and let him go. And away he goes, Leo, in the air, would you be fleeing your arms? And, <laughs> and let's say he makes it a grand total of 100 meters. You help me. Is that 3,300? No. Every single attempt that you and I put into it, we fall terribly short. All right, so let me read this verse again. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's the glory of God, so expansive, and it doesn't matter how hard we try, I'm going to be a good boy, or I'm going to do good things, or I'm going to appease God with my righteousness. And all we do is end up coming short. And not a single one of us can ever make it all the way across. And you say, but pastor, that's such a ludicrous illustration. No, I hope you understand how ludicrous it is for you to think that you could ever attain God's merits and His glory in your flesh. It's a terrifying thought. The scary thing is that the further you make it out, the deeper the water is, the harder the impact, and the more difficult it is to get help. If you understand where that illustration goes, I hope that that sentence will sink in. I'll say it again. The farther you make it out, the deeper trouble you are in, the harder the impact, and the more difficult it is to get help. Because so many of us think, well, I can do it. And we get so much further away from help. You see, we are not righteous in ourselves. Verses 24 and verse 25 show us that we are set free by Jesus' work on the cross. 
And oh, I love this. We are set free by Jesus' work on the cross. Now in this passage, verses 24 and 25, there are some big words that I think I need to identify. Let me read the verses, verses 24 and 25. Let me read them, then I'll come back and I will define these three big words. Here we are. Ready? Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Justified. Justified. Let me define these words. Justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. God, the righteous judge, is the only one who can declare someone righteous. Remember, His holiness is so far higher than ours, we cannot attain it, and He is the only one who can declare someone righteous. You'll never be able to work your way up to attain that righteousness. Instead, He will declare you righteous. And remember, we were declared righteous by our faith in Jesus. God's the one that declares us. All we can do is trust Jesus, for it's His righteousness alone that we can trust. I don't know if you've ever been to court before. When you go to court, let's say you go to local court, and let's say that the judge passes a sentence, or he makes a declaration, and you don't agree with it. You think you have evidence that shows the opposite. You can appeal from the local court, then perhaps you go to provincial level. And then the provincial level, the judge can pass a judgment, and if you don't like that one, you can go to national level. You can appeal, right? Then from the national level, you don't like it, you can appeal, you go to the Supreme Court level. And when the Supreme Court level, in our society, when the Supreme Court passes the judgment, it's over. There is only one righteous judge in all of the universe. His name is God Almighty. And when He passes a judgment, there is no questioning His judgment. So guess what? When He says that He will declare you righteous, who shall separate us from the love of God? Oh, this is a glorious thought. He declares you righteous. That's what justification means. You are justified. And by the way, you need to be justified. That only comes from God. You cannot get it yourself. It has to come from God. Redemption. Redeemed is another word that he used here. Redemption. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption. Redemption means to be set free by a payment. Set free by a payment. This word redemption is used throughout Scripture and it sometimes points to something or someone that was being held back. You can think of the children of Israel in Egypt being held back by the Egyptians and God redeemed them, set them free. Or you can think of Ruth. You might remember Ruth from the Old Testament, the young lady Ruth. Her husband had land. And when he died, she needed someone to redeem that land. Make a payment to redeem, set that free. This word redemption is used throughout the scriptures. And so when I think of, in terms of our salvation, when I think of redemption, I ask two questions. First question is this. Be set free from what? Set free from what? A sinful person will think, well, I don't need to be set free from anything. But what they don't realize is that they are being bound by their sin. Sin is ruling over them like a king. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7 says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now I want you to see how he put those together. He just defined one with the other. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So those two are together. You might as well just say, redemption through Jesus' blood equals forgiveness of sins. So I am set free from what? I'm set free from sin. I'm set free from the guilt of sin. I'm set free from the power of sin. This is the gospel. This is a glorious thing. This is why I say, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not just for your salvation. It's also for your sanctification. Don't just think, well, the gospel was great for me when I got saved. No, this is the gospel is freeing you from the power of sin for the rest of your life. Oh, this is a glorious thing. You've been set free from sin. This is hope for you and I, brothers and sisters. We will develop that thought more in chapter 4 and in chapter 6 for believers, but just want you to see a glimpse of that. So then, I'm also set free. Here's the second question. I'm set free by what? I'm set free by what? I'm set free from what is set free from sin. And what is it that sets me free? Well, this answer is found in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. We were looking for the word redemption here. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You are set free by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that paid for your freedom. You're redeemed with the most precious thing there ever was. You say, well, that's a really nice thing to say. Let me just help you with something. What is it that makes something precious? Or what is it that makes it valuable? You find value in the scarcity of an item. Why is it that gold is so valuable? It's because it's hard to find. And there's only so much of it. People don't get gold and just toss it around like it's rocks or like it's dirt. There's plenty of dirt out there. That's why it's invaluable. Gold and silver are scarce. You know what's really scarce? God's blood. So God became a man. Only so much blood there. The precious blood of Christ as the holy, perfect Son of God went to the cross and shed His blood for you and I. Oh, that's how we get purchased. is we get bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is redemption. Set free by payment. The third word in this passage, propitiation. I doubt that any of us use that word in our vocabulary this week. A propitiation. The word propitiation means a gift that turns away wrath. A gift to turn away wrath. Now remember that God's wrath is based on His love. Don't think God is a deity that sits there just waiting for you to sin so He can smite you. That's not how it works. God loves us, and He loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you and I. So when we sin, we are angering Him because He wants us, and yet we allow sin to come, us, come between us and Him. So His wrath is based on His love. 
And yet, there's only one thing that can turn away His wrath, and that is a gift. And you and I do not possess a gift that is precious enough to turn away His wrath, so He had to provide it for Himself. I think the closest thing that we can have within our culture is Belcol. And I think that, again, that falls short. Bell cold, the idea that there's anger and I've got to do something to appease it, and yet that falls short of propitiation, a gift that turns away God's wrath. So what did God do in order to turn away His own wrath? He gave Himself. He sent Himself to the cross so that He could turn away His own wrath. Oh, what a blessed Redeemer. Now let me put those three words together in this sentence, verses 24 and 25. Justified, redemption, and propitiation. We'll put those three words in together. Let's see them in verses 24 and verse 25. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace. Oh, you didn't buy that one. You didn't purchase the becoming righteous. You didn't buy that. That was by His grace. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. That was Jesus paying our, our price to set us free. And in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. God gave us Jesus so that He would be the gift to Himself to turn away His own anger. God has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation and our part is faith in His blood. And Him doing that declares His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance. Of God. So how do I get this applied to me? By faith in His blood. Jesus, perfect, sinless, went to the cross, shed His blood for you and I, the most precious thing ever to touch this earth. And we trust Him. It is by faith in His blood. Now, in verses 25 and 26, there are two I declares. We will leave those two I declares for next Sunday. You can see it in verse 25 to declare the remission his to declare his righteousness and then verse 26 to declare again his righteousness we'll see those next week but let me close with this thought we spoke at the beginning of the day of atonement this was the one day out of the year that God's people could be made right with God 10th day of the 7th month a special person with special clothes, special undergarments, special belt, special hat, special bullock, special goat. Everything had to be just right. Tenth day of the seventh month, once a year, annually, to turn away God's wrath so that man could be made right with God again. But can I ask this question? What about the eleventh day of the seventh month? There's a problem. For on the tenth day of the seventh month, man was, as it were, at one with God. But on the eleventh day, man started sinning again. And on the twelfth day, we might as well just mark it down, man started heaping up God's wrath again. You see, there was a problem. The book of Hebrews outlines this problem. I'll read this to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. You see, here comes the high priest every year bringing the blood of another bullock. And he lays it on the mercy seat 
But the problem is, all he's doing is covering up the sins. For tomorrow they start again. And he covers up, as it were, he can't cover God's eyes, but as it were, symbolically, covering God's eyes from the way that they would blatantly rebel against God's law and how they would turn their back against God's leadership and how they would despise his provision. And over and over they would come in every year, tenth day of the seventh month, and they would cover that. At one with God, maybe 24 hours. What a tragedy. God knew this. And one day God sent His Son. You might remember Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That we might, be made, might receive the adoption of sons. Oh, this is a glorious thought. God sent His Son Jesus to redeem us. To pay for us to come out and be made right with God. And you know how He did that. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Those 64 verses of Romans 1-3 to that described us don't apply to Him for one single moment. He was perfect and sinless. He was just like the perfect bullock or perfect goat or perfect lamb. In fact, John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist standing on the side of the river Jordan described Jesus perfectly in these words, Behold, the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. Doesn't cover up the sin, but takes away the sin of the world. That's the kind of high priest that I need. He is a special high priest. Oh, He comes in with His own blood, not having to make any atonement for Himself. He is the special high priest on our part. And He fulfilled every symbol of the Day of Atonement. Oh, He doesn't wait for the tenth day of the seventh month. He doesn't have to be in this right lineage. He is the chosen Son of God. And in He comes perfectly with His own blood. No bullock needed. He comes in with His own blood. And He takes care of the sin of mankind. And He pours it out for all of us. He is the perfect Lamb of God. The special man. He comes out the scapegoat as He takes all of the sin of the world. And He is the fit man who will take all of our sins and separate them from God as far as the east is from the west. And oh, He fulfills every picture in the uh, Day of Atonement. And he has finished his job, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He took all of our unrighteousness, and he offered himself as the righteous sacrifice to the Father, a propitiation to turn away God's wrath so that we could be made right with Him. Don't ever think that you can live up to it. We're made righteous by faith in Jesus. Let Him be the one that makes you righteous. So, Father, I pray that You would help us to see that we are sinful and we come short of Your glory every single time. We'll never be able to be right with You in our own sin. But instead, you've sent Jesus to take our place on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning we would trust Jesus alone. Before I close, I want to give an opportunity. Perhaps you've heard for the last 64 verses as we've walked through Romans 1 to 3, you've heard, I'm sinful and I'm condemned. But perhaps this morning you say, Pastor, 
I'd like to trust Jesus. I'd like to be made righteous. I'd like to be right with God by Jesus. And I want to put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there one like that this morning? Would you raise your hand? I'll have someone come and talk with you. Keep your hand raised high. That's great. Fantastic. Keep your hand raised high. Is there another? Brother Eric? Yes. Is there another? I want to be made righteous. I want to be right with God. Pastor, would you send somebody to talk with me? Is there another? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're not looking around. Anybody else? You say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Jesus. I want to be made righteous. In the overflow, Papa John is there. There's any in the overflow? I have a lady along. Is there another? Just keep your hand raised. Is there another? I want to be made righteous. I can't do it on my own. I need to trust Jesus. Is there another? Brothers and sisters, you have been redeemed with the most precious thing there ever was, the blood of Jesus. And you've been set free from the power of sin. I'll quote from Romans 6. Reckon yourself then to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. There's freedom in Jesus. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those who have now gone to sit and talk through the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Father, we can never be right with you on our own. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hang on to Jesus. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.